Walking in, two top, first course, Caesar, Bronx. Another amazing episode of Late Night with Chefs. And tonight we have another amazing guest. Doug, can you please introduce our guest chef of the evening? Of course. Hello, everybody. Thank you for coming to another awesome episode. As Truffle Boy said, um, tonight we have amazing guest chef Ben Diaz out of L.A., uh, definitely quite a few things going on with this chef. Uh, first, he has a consulting CBD cuisine that he does, um, as well as a little taqueria pop-up and uh, is a brand ambassador for a lot of different brands that I know I use every day in the kitchen. So awesome to be able to have you on the show, chef. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks for coming on. We uh, actually was interviewing one of your friends last week, uh, Chris Driscoll. He told us about you. Oh, nice. Yeah. How's he doing? Uh, he's doing He's doing well. He had a really, really interesting story to share with us last week. And um, it was an oh, awesome God. podcast to hear. <laughs> yeah. Awesome energy from them. I love, Definitely I love a lot everybody of in the LA. They have, you guys have this awesome swagger to you guys. So it's, it's pretty cool to feel that. And especially, you know, since we are doing this virtually, but we could still, you know, uh, it almost feels like we are all in the same room. So definitely super, super excited. Pleasure meeting you. Super excited to have you on our podcast late night with chefs. Uh, Chef, if you can start us off, you know, with, you know, the early, early ons of what brought you into this world of culinary cuisine, you know, how the iron chefs would say it. I like cuisine, (laughs) you know, what, what brought you, what made you passionate about this? How did you get in it? What are the stories? We want all the gritty, gritty, good stuff. Oh, Jesus. Oh, man. All the good stuff. Uh, how about some embarrassing stuff? You know, that, that sells better, right? Hey, that's oh, great. That's the best stuff. I mean, I, I think the year was probably 1998, 1999. Uh, this is like a lifetime ago now. Uh, my dad's a chef, uh, chef for many years, um, accomplished chef. He's already maybe 15 years retired. Uh, he's not the reason I got into the business. He's just kind of uh, the person kind of pushed me more into being in the business after afterwards. Um, I always had a passion for cooking. I always loved food. Obviously, if you look at me, it's I love food. I love what I do. But I was also really good at math and science. So, you know, kind of graduation comes around, high school, thinking about, hey, what am I going to do? Uh, you know, should I be a pharmacist? They make pretty good money. You know, sit in an office, play with chemicals, do, do my thing, you know, and have a good time, right? Or I can be a chef, you know, cook it up in the kitchen and make it happen here and there. I'm like, uh, late nights, uh, weekends, uh at this point in my career, well, in my, in my life, um, I met this young lady. And what do guys do? They follow the young lady, right? What a that dumbass we do. Do? Young lady. That we do. So uh, so this young lady in the high school, um, literally, essentially, was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I have no idea. I might take the year off. I might work. I might hang out. I might go travel the world. I have no, no, no idea. But, you know, I had a huge crutch on, on, this, on this one girl for the longest time. I'm like, what are you going to do? Like, I think I'm going to go to Le Cordon Bleu and learn how to cook. I'm like, you know what? That sounds like an amazing idea. I think I'll go too as well. And boom, started my career. <laughs> um, Le Cordon Bleu, I love that. drawn yeah. in. Uh, the old school Le Cordon Bleu right there in Pasadena uh, back in, well, God, 2000, something early 2000, 2001 probably. Uh, so, so talking talking to this beautiful young lady, right? Uh, guess what? We have different schedules. Oh, okay, great. So she's in the evening class. I'm in the AM class. Okay, great. So I started doing my thing. I started working at the local country club. I think at the time it was Brookside Country Club past the M. You know, there, there you go. There's your plug. Uh, <laughs> it was an amazing location. I learned a lot from the chef there. It was high volume. Uh, my exposure to more to, you know, like, like fast paced, high production things. And at the same time, I was going to culinary school, learning, you know, the nuance, the fine, the fine things that, here and there. And I'll tell you, you know, when I when I started culinary school, it's I didn't know goddamn shit, man. I'll tell you that I didn't know the difference between parsley, cilantro, basil, mint, marjoram. You, you name it, I didn't even know what the hell that was. But isn't All that was isn't that sorry, chef, to interrupt? Isn't that so yeah. beautiful though? When like you're just like, what? There's a difference. This exists. Like uh, you know, the intriguing part, the mysterious. I part. started learning herbs. I'm like, what is this? Just throw in there. What was that? You know. When you, when you talk to me about, oh, what's the parsnip? Like, oh, it's a white carrot. Like, okay. <laughs> you know? Carrot. Or like, like learning differences of between the onions, 
uh, difference of, of, of garlic, you know, how, how many different types of chicken there are, different cuts here and there. And just kind of like, oh, what do you mean? What are you talking about? You Don't you just roast a thing and call it a day? Like, no, there's different baby steps to do certain things, you know? All I knew was how to grill and how to fry, right? I love fried food and I love grilled food. So, I mean, I pretty much have it there, right? No, totally wrong. I was caught way off guard. Um, <clears throat> if you knew me in culinary school, you, you would be like, wow, what the hell is this guy doing here? Like, I don't know. I didn't even, I didn't even know what a shallot was. Like, what the hell is a shallot? Like, I, I didn't even recognize the garlic. I, I have garlic powder right here. Like, what is, what, what is this? What is this clove? What is this? Like, man. I'm like, did I do the wrong thing? I, I think I took the wrong turn around here. I don't know what the hell's going on. So, I mean, that was week one, week two, you know, making stocks, right? Like, how's the stock? Is juice? Like, beef juice? Who wants beef and chicken juice? That's nasty. Um, anyways, going through the whole process, you know, talking to this young girl. We got real close. You know, one thing led to another. Next, you know, it's like, boom, it's over. You know, we probably dated for maybe three days, and that's it. And I'm like, okay, what the hell now? I'm stuck here now. So after the whole shenanigans, the, the whole, that whole episode, I ended up, you know, diving more into this culinary business. So I was like, okay, let me pick up, let me pick up the actual book they gave me. Like, where's that thing? You know, like, oh, let me dust it off. Okay. Open chapter one, stock, started reading, started doing things here and there, started exploring. And I started asking the questions, you know, the why questions, you know, or how come questions, you know, why do we roast it that way? Why do we do that here and there? Man, my instructors hated me. But it's I wanted to learn. I wanted to know the reasons why. Why do we make the mirror paw that way? Why don't we do more carrots? Why don't we do more celery? Why do you have to be more predominant, you know, onions? Like asking those questions. I'm gonna uh, and rag on uh, I'm gonna rag on Vlad here, Vlad here, but he was definitely that kid in culinary school. It was <laughs> yeah. Vlad always needed to know why we did anything. And looking back, I definitely see it just how you described it. It at the moment you're like, just do it. But you think about it, you're like, no, like asking why is so important knowing the reason behind something can help you make so many better decisions about you know different situations that you might 100%. put yourself in in the future i and think, I think uh, a as, lot of us yeah as doug is no, saying that i'm thinking uh i still have yet to have a chef that wants you know golden onions or sauteed onions <laughs> to a certain color right every chef has his like points and he has his points for it right whether it's to bring out that bitterness or sweetness or texture or lack of transparency or whatever but you know that's the beauty in it that it's a recipe right it's it's up to interpretation of the beholder of that recipe and you know culinary school is a great tool for us chefs to be open to that world you know and take it back from the start right I think a lot of chefs that, you know, I've cooked with alongside uh, still don't know, you know, who Escoffier is and what's the story behind it. And I think us who who have studied that almost so intrigued about that story and how this, you know, bad boy at that time, you know, reigned his kitchen and, and did what he did and, and, and uh, you know, documented it to pass it on to, you know, our, us young, ruthless hustling you know kids that that you know are striving in this game right now and that's what it is it's like you said you just gotta ask those questions and and that was me why do we use this knife why don't we use that knife you know what happens you know is the chicken gonna fall apart if i use this knife it, it was for me it was strange like why couldn't i ask these questions like oh because the book said so so the book says this plenty of books say different things but we as chefs always go off the hinge we always go off the playbook you know we're all constantly changing things left and right Sometimes I'll forget to add something. I'll add something, something else. I'll mix it around. I'll be like, oh, that's a new recipe I'm testing out. How do you like that? You know, there's always different ways around it. Uh, but, you know, culinary school for me was really, really fun. Um, coming, I think, the second leg of my, of my, of my uh, culinary career, it was going into that where I think it was maybe the last semester. It was really, really a lot more fun. That's when we started drinking more wine, having more cocktails, enjoying you know, the fruits of our labor going to actual production and actually applying what we learned into the real world. So when I went to the country club, I stayed there full time. I think I was there for, for about two years, two years. And, and it was an amazing time. I learned about high volume uh, structure. The food wasn't by all means high end, fine dining here and there, but it was, you know, an experience. I learned how to, how to pick up sauces, how to pick up service real quick, how to put out, you know, party of 200 by myself, how to do X, Y, and Z by myself. It made me, 
you know, think of a wider range. Of, okay, what can I do with this stuff? Uh, you know, that country club was, was amazing. Uh, unfortunately for me, it, I had to leave because of, of a certain situation I was in. <laughs> now, here comes the juicy part for you. It was 2004. I don't know if you guys remember that. USC versus Texas Longhorns, uh, the Rose Bowl game. So I was the chef de cuisine at the time. Uh, I already had, sorry guys, I already had been promoted. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so I, while I you were a, still in culinary school? This is after, this is maybe a year afterwards. Oh, okay. Like a slight year afterwards. Um, I was in charge of, of the West field and my chef was in charge of the East field. So I think I had, uh, I had Texas. So we had about maybe 7,000 Longhorns we had to do uh, food for. Again, and by all means, it, it's not this high-end food. It's just, you know, roast vegetables, chicken, a couple of little things here and there, but we had to prepare days in advance. Lo and behold, you know, after a great service, we all have nice, you know, couple of drinks here and there. Guess what? I'm walking toward to my car. I hop in a, in a golf cart. I have keys to all the golf carts, right? I'm driving again, but this rifle. I have my civilian clothes. I'm driving this golf cart. Next thing you know, I see somebody running right beside me. I'm like, what? Who's this? They grab the cart, pull the cart. They jump me off the cart. I'm like, oh, I'm getting jumped here. Like at work, it was the police. It was the cops. They thought I stole that car. So they picked me up and I was like, what? And they're like, oh, you've been drinking? I'm like, no, yes, maybe no. What's the question again? So they pick me up, they, they throw me in the van, no questions asked, they throw me downtown. I go to, to the police station, they book me the whole nine. After three hours, okay, you can go. I'm like, I didn't even talk to anybody. You guys just threw me in here, took me off a of cart. Basically, I was almost, I was still at work. I got pulled off at yeah. work. Oh man! Was that the I mean, end, right at the end of this event? At the end of this event, man. But you can imagine all the drunk people walking around, having a good time here and there. These cops—they were over, over it, you know, dealing with fights left and right. So they didn't want anyone to hear my story. Yeah. So they booked me the whole nine here and there. Next thing you know, it's my court date's a week from now. I go to court. I hire a lawyer. We, they review the tapes. We go, okay, what's the problem? It's thrown out. The whole case is thrown out. Simple as that. It was just it was just like a wash. I got caught up in and then like ringing in all the other drawings and all the other like people who were fighting. And I got thrown in there, and for me it was like what? So you if can they, imagine what kind, of, what kind of embarrassment that was at the time. Yeah, if they arrested every drunk person in Florida that was on their golf cart, the jails would be really really full here. <laughs> that's insane. Well, yeah, well, that's, key, that's a key aspect of it. I mean, that's a crazy that's a, story, but like in the midst of it, when you said I had to beat seven thousand people. My biggest question was, how big of a of a container of Cambro do you need for 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 you know a seven thousand people service, and like how <laughs> how are you guys you know transporting this? Was it like a commissary kitchen, or you guys were cooking, you know, like right there oh, and like so? Because you're cooking, I mean, roast chicken and and roast vegetables or whatever it is. I mean, that's still you know that's not 7, a hot 000. dog. Uh, you know, that's not seven thousand hot dogs and buns. And here, here's your condiments out of the bag that's you know still some level of you know technique in there so 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 the way we 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 kind of concocted this whole thing is we used a lot of leg sands humongous uh queen mary's and not only that it's we started prep four days ahead all the culinary school we had an army of maybe over 200 culinary students and when we got two cisco trucks put them parked them side by side the refrigeration trucks you know one had all the produce and all the meats so we we're chopping things in that section then moving it to the other truck and then we also had a mobile kitchens, which we rented out as well. And we were like fire. So we'll have a group of 20 people doing vegetables, a group of 20 people, 30 people doing uh, potatoes. And the next, the next group would be doing chicken. So you had a whole army. Everything, everything was, um, was um, a foil tent, essentially, you know, like, like to go containers here and there. And we had things set up at 30 different buffet lines, but it was all consistently the same exact thing. Uh, it probably took maybe a good an hour and a half to get everybody right through. And this was right before the game. So everyone went right through the whole thing. And you can imagine how fast the food was going. It was just like nonstop. Right. It Hot boxes of, you know, half sheet oh, trays, whatever it is, full sheet trays, probably. That's insane. Like, I mean, credits to you. I mean, to be thrown into that. Did you have those, that, little, those little foil containers that you got to press down the edges? I always oh God, cut yeah. my yeah. finger on those. Yeah, oh, those that would be, that'd be the worst part. Yeah, so we went through so many of those containers. A lot of stuff broke, fell on the floor, but it didn't matter. 
you know, you know, if you look at this PEO, it was something around like $1.2 million of revenue. And now since back in 2004, that's a lot of money. It still is a lot of money. Yeah. And it was, it was just the machine. It was just cranking out at that point. And it was one of those points where it's, I slept at the property. I slept at the country club for maybe two or three days straight. You know, we will sleep in the banker rooms on the floors, you know, wake up in the middle of the night, start prepping, start getting things done, organized. And, you know, we prep and organize so much that when time comes, it's like, okay, it's you're afraid something's gonna go wrong. You're standing there like everything's running pretty smoothly. Like something's gonna happen. You're waiting for something to happen, but it never does. And that's the best part. It's like you did all the hard work and now it's seamlessly moving through the whole process. And that now, was, wow. With, with those type of events, you know, obviously nothing gets 86. You know, what usually happens, you know, with the leftovers or that, or is there leftovers? Oh God, there, there was leftovers for days, for weeks. Afterwards, we looked at you know a couple of hot boxes, a couple of Queen Marys. Oh, it's not so bad. You know, we have enough food for the next two days. You know, one of my guys is like, "What about the trailer in the back?" I'm like, "What?" Yeah, he's the trailer in the back is still full to the ceiling with food. I'm like, "Christ!" Like, okay. So at that point, uh, the chef and I made a decision. Okay, let's call the local charities. Let's call the churches to start donating that food. So we started pumping that stuff out. A lot of people came over, picked it up, and then a lot of it is we also just dropped it off ourselves. But, you know, at that point, like I said, you can't 86 anything, you know, are you going to explain to like, you know, all these thousands of people came to this game, like, oh, I don't have any more potatoes, sorry. Like, yeah, that's not going to happen. You know, and I wasn't about to go to Restaurant Depot and ask for like two pallets of potatoes. Yeah, that, that, would, that would have been a different story. Right. There's no cooking on the fly at that point. There is no cooking on the fly. It's, it's a lot of re-therming and making sure things perfect at, at that right moment. And that's the thing, like, even me, you know, I eat different amounts every day, so I don't know. You know, and you can never, you always have to overassume, right? How much uh, you bring. You got to be overprepared oh, yeah. for anybody. Uh, you know, Hungry football fans. So that's, like, mean, that's it, really it, awesome that you go, you know, from culinary school to like, you know, applying all the knowledge that you learn and then going straight to like, you know, feeding 7,000 people, which is like an, a huge operation uh, within of itself. And if you can kind of just like, you know, visualize for me, you know, what's the area like, you know, what, what city, you know, what was making waves at that time? If there was any like local chefs or anything that was really inspiring you, um, you know, to keep, to keep staying hungry. I mean, at that time there was a couple of chefs coming up, uh, and it was one of those signs where, where things were, were happening and the, the city had the Michelin guild in, in town. So you see a lot of these like high end shops popping here and there, a lot of different stuff. You see a lot of the old school shops. That there were around. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember the old uh, Seafood King's King uh, House or Fish King House, whatever you want to call it. They actually had a Michelin star. I think they had two Michelin stars. One in downtown LA. This is that's a chain restaurant. I'm not sure if you know that. So that's a chain restaurant, and they had two Michelin stars, huh. and they had an amazing chef working them for years. I mean, this was like the time of opportunity. You know, if you wanted it, you seized it. You went out there and you got it yourself, and you made it happen. And that for me was like great. You know, now it's the time for me to kind of expand, explore what I know. Uh, and that kind of kicked off my career of doing catering, career of, you know, doing events, competitions, and kind of start traveling all up and down the West Coast, uh, cross country, internationally to get kind of all this exposure. You know, I wasn't saying that I was a top chef back then, but it's going to meeting these guys and talking to these guys. It became a thing. You know, back in the day when I was talking to my instructors or even, even my dad or other chefs, older chefs, I said, you can never go up to a chef like, like you and I and ask him, hey, what do you put in those mashed potatoes or what do you put in that sauce? Like, those potatoes go fuck off. You know, nowadays it's like, oh yeah, come here. You want to learn? Yeah, come here. Here, this is what you do. So and so, this is how it is. And this is the reason I do it. He goes, you like that? Okay, try it this way and see how that works out for you. You know, now it's if I need a recipe, if I if I don't know how to do something, if I'm like, man, I can't get those potatoes right, or or I can't get this, you know, this prime rib right. You know what? Let me call the truffle boy. See what he has. Hey man, what kind of brine do you have? You know, here you go, man. This is it works perfectly for me. Back I'm up on the DM and get his spiceology recipe. I love that you just said that because a lot of recipes that you get online, I don't know who wrote them, but they're like trash. <laughs> and you know, the, those recipes that I have in like scribbled into my like little thousand notebooks in the, you know, these small pages that Doug was like, wow, bro, that's hideous. I don't know how, I don't know how you do this, but like, you know, I'll have recipes that I know are going to work. They're by the gram. They're weighted out. They're tried and true. They taste good. Like to the salt even, you know what I mean? And and that's like incredible. The amount of peer to peer 
and and the accessibility of that that we have nowadays and it's an amazing tool and i love that you bring it up so we make you know more people aware of that that we everybody does it i i know my chef you know even giuseppe i would see him you know texting graham elliott or you know curtis duffy for how would you do this or a different takes right different perspectives there's so many things uh nowadays it's almost hard to be new and revolutionary but um you know, you do it in your own style. No, yeah, hundred percent. And then I love the fact that you said, you know, you do everything to the gram. It's I've been doing that for the past couple of years because I've done events. You know, I gone to Jamaica, Vancouver, Oaxaca. These are different altitudes, man. Especially if you're doing baking, what you do at at you know at three feet doesn't translate at forty thousand feet. You know, the altitude really messes you up really bad. A lot of people don't think that or don't realize that, but. A lot of the recipes have to be precise and you have to double check what you're doing when you get to those altitudes. It's crazy. Definitely. I had an experience once. There's a restaurant in Chicago um, signature room on the 96th. And uh, it's the 96th floor of uh, the John Hancock, I believe, in Chicago. And um, I went up there and did a stage and everything was just so much faster. The water was boiling faster. The pans were hotter faster. Um, and just being, you know, 96 stories up, I could tell a difference. So you can only imagine being, you know, in the U.S., we have Colorado, but any of those places you mentioned, you know, Vancouver, Oaxaca. Well, you also got to remember your senses change too. The flavor profile, the, your palate changes. You're tasting different things. You know, I almost died in Oaxaca. I went, I went on a nice hike to uh, get up a lot of one. I went down downhill. Coming back up here, I couldn't breathe, man. It was like breathing air through a straw. You know, a buddy of mine next to me is like, are you okay? He goes, you're turning purple. I'm like, fuck you. Leave me alone. I'm dying here. He's like, you need water? He's like, drink water. I'm like, I don't need water, dude. I can't breathe. I'm like, I'm trying to eat this. I'm, I'm just, I'm dying. I'm sitting here. I'm looking at our guide who's wearing a tank top and sandals and just like looking at me like, you okay? I'm like, no, nah, dude, I'm dying. It's just like a whole different, whole different world scenario. You know, I don't need water. Just, I just need air. Right. It's just and like, man. at that point, it's like, everybody just leave me the fuck alone. I need, I just. I'm focused on my breathing right now. I'm trying to do my, my, my classes. I'm like, oh, okay, come on. Like, stay alive. Stay alive. I'm not dying on a rock tonight, you know? Uh, Go ahead. So I have to ask, Chef. So you graduated um, Le Cordon Bleu. Was it, you know, hard to stay there with having that past experience? Was any part of you like, I need to get out of here. I need to leave Le Cordon Bleu. Um, you know, what made you stay uh, during that? Was it, you know, instructors that you had there? Well, you know, for me, it was something new, something different. And again, you know, a lot of people, uh, when I speak to a lot of different cooks, even a lot of chefs, like, oh, I don't go to culinary school. I learned through work with so on and so forth, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, great. That's amazing. Uh, for me, I didn't have that. I didn't work for Mission Star Chef. I didn't work for a fine dining place. I had to learn on my own. I had to go figure things out and ask people. And again, right, like I said before, right when I started, it's you were barely able to do that. I was able to come to you and say, hey, can I get a recipe for this? And you're like, hmm. I really don't know you, but okay, I'll give you something that I use that I, that I don't use anymore. You know, you will give me your leftover recipes, <laughs> but I I needed that because I didn't know nothing. I didn't understand anything. And I didn't have anybody who wanted to teach me that. The only person who wanted to teach me was my dad. And again, he was limited with the things he could teach me and the stuff he was doing at work as well. So for me, it is a, a good learning experience. Yes, you can learn what you, what you can in the industry just by grinding and doing different things. But what I tell people, it's you go to culinary school for about a year and a half to two years. That cuts your, your your time in the industry by five years. You know, everything that I learned in the industry in five years, I learned it in culinary school because it's jam-packed. It's, it's just, you know, like you're learning the basics and you're going through it real quick, real quick. Okay, this is why you do this, why you do that, here and there. You know, it's, it feels better for me than, than learning by trial and error and by asking multiple people, hey, how about this? How about that? Because at the end of the day, it's, I need to be able to stand on my own two feet. I love that. And, and just to do, I love to do a little compare and compare, you know, me and Doug went to a community college. You went to Le Cordon Bleu, you know, what were the classes like, you know, were, were, you know, in the meat classes or in the poultry classes, did you individually all get a bird or did you guys have to split it? You know, how hands on it, how big were the classes? Did you feel like you were able to really connect with the instructors and, you know, get their background and like get motivated by, you know, what they have done and how is that kind of, uh, you know, experience putting ourselves, you know, back in those shoes of like freshman, sophomore year of culinary school. 
All right, let me give you two different perspectives. Um, the first semester I went to culinary school, it was actually the California School of Culinary Arts. The second semester, it transitioned to the Cordon Bleu. So we had people wearing the, the you know, the Cordon Bleu logo and other people have, you know. The, Did you guys <laughs> the, have to wear the oh, handkerchiefs? We wore the white handkerchief, yes. And that's how I learned how to tie, tie my tie. I learned how to tie and tie in 10 seconds because of that. Chef will not let you in the class. If you didn't have your handkerchief, you get one, two, like, it's on, it's on. I'm in, I'm in, you know. So I'm not so late. That's one thing I took away from culinary school is learning how to tie a tie. I'll tell you that right now. But uh, when I started, you know, as a, again, California School of Culinary Arts, yes, we all had our own individual stations. So you had six burners and one oven, or you'll share that oven. They'll give you maybe about a six-foot table, and you would have your own tools, equipment here and there, yada, yada, yada. But again, this was when I was going, and there was maybe 20 people in my class. And then the class next to us, which was in the same unit or in the same classroom, had another 20. So 40 students in one humongous building, but everyone had their, their stations. Now, going to the second semester, that changed. It became more corporate, more, more money-driven. So the classes almost doubled. It was, it was 60, 70 people. And then again, now we had to share different things, you know? Okay, who's going to fabricate the bird and who's going to skin the, the fish? Oh, why can't I do both? I, I need to learn both of those things, right? Well, no, you got to pick one because you only have one thing for each of you. You know, it became one of those things where you're like, oh, okay, great. So we went from um, from a great school to a for-profit ah, for school. Sorry about that. Right. <laughs> but that's that's how you learn the distinction. The schooling was still the same. The instructors were still, were still great. It was still amazing. Uh, but again, we had the tilt, the stainless steel tilt uh, mirror. You remember those? I love yes. those. I was on top of the, my, yes. the, the beautiful Are one. Are you guys all seeing this? <laughs> that, was, that was amazing. And everything was backwards, right? Right. <laughs> I stopped by the, the culinary school now once in a while because I'm on a couple, a couple of boards for different schools. And these guys have computers. They have big screens. And I'm like, what the? Like, are you kidding me? You have your own 20-inch TV and somebody that's showing you how to do it one-on-one, one on one, like, what the hell is this? It's like, that's insane. You know, my second day culinary school, somebody cut their thumb off. And I was like, okay, wipe that off. Next person, like, oh, shit. And I'm like, okay. Like, all right. You know, that's how we roll here. That's cool. You know, Remember, nowadays, we everybody's wearing glasses because they can't cut onions. You know, it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. If that's... I would ever see that, that would just grind my gears. They're wearing goggles. Oh I'm like, you're wearing God. goggles? I'm over here with the onion. I'm like, look at this. Nothing's going on. You know, I mean, just, the, like, just the memories that I look like. You just brought me back to my culinary days of just like, you know, just putting way too much salt in the bread and it turning out like shit. And like all those little uh, mess ups that you ate. You made it and you ate it. And, you know... And you would taste other people's stuff and you'd be like, okay, so maybe I put yeah. a little bit, you know, too much of this. But that just amazing like vibe uh, that you get in culinary school and, and the amount that they let you kind of fail on your own and learn from your own mistakes. I think that's really important for, you know, anybody to go through in the culinary game. Yeah. I mean, like, like we said earlier, you, you think my chef will let me, let me fail like that at work? You think he'll, he'll let me get a couple of tries on that fillet? Oh, hell no. You know, the first thing I'll do is like, hey, come here real quick. I got, I got a little fillet for you. You know, it's like, there's no way I can practice that stuff in the business. And that's why I went to culinary school because I could make those mistakes. I learned from those mistakes. I couldn't get a foie gras and then go through three lobes at work. Like, the chef's like, hey, what's the foie gras? Like, uh, I made a puree over there because I was trying to sear everything and it didn't work out. Like, no, dude, I picked out like so hard. And you don't even know which way is up. I remember I was working for a Michelin chef at the time and while I was going to school towards the end and um, he told me, he's like, what the fuck do you do all day at school? Because you come here and you mess up. You're supposed to make all the mistakes at school and stop costing me money every time you come in this kitchen. And still to that day, it reminds you that like whenever we do take on, you know, someone who's green in the industry or a brand new cook. Um, it's really making an investment more than just paying their salary. We know they're going to screw up that steak. We know that they're going to have to, you know, refire that fish or, you know, refire that filet. And it's about like, all right, let's just get these fries down. Right. And that's why we have those stages, but it is really an investment bringing someone up green like that. Oh yeah. You're going to spend a lot more money. I mean, currently it's, I can tell you this, man, maybe 10 years ago, I used to tell everybody, no, if you want to work for me, you have to have minimum seven years experience. It has to be high in high in place. Now, 
now what I look for is somebody who's open-minded. Like, hey, you're open, you're open-minded and you're open to interpretation and you're open to criticism. That's what I want. Why? Because that's the person who's gonna learn. That's the person who's gonna take everything, you know, down and write everything down and it's gonna learn really well. Somebody who comes in here with things they know everything, they're not gonna take that, you know, right off the bat. They're gonna, like, oh well, no, I, I work with so and so, you know. Like, let me name drop right now. I worked at, you know, Melise. You know, I worked at, you know, I worked with Dominic Cran and all that stuff like that. I, we did it this way. I'm like, okay, great. But you're here now. This is how we do things here and there. You know, and you're doing it wrong. You know, you, it may be great over there, but here we you need something done differently. And that's what people don't understand. It. You need somebody who's going to be open-minded is to take criticism, like, appropriately and learn from it. If you have somebody coming in here and you're telling them, oh, that's not how you make a murder call, like, then what? It's going to make your life a lot, a lot harder. I used to be that guy going around kitchens and doing that till I had to be the sous chef that had to be like, had it done to him, you know? And it's like, you know, there's a, there, there's that lack of respect. I feel like nowadays where like, you know, they, they think they know it all because they worked here and there, but like, it's not like they became sous chef there, you know, and there's a reason they left there and there's a reason they're here now. And it's, this is the way, this is the system of this kitchen and everybody does it differently. And I think it, you know, going back to my earlier points is every chef has its own specific things because he, he likes to bring out its own characteristics and perspectives. Um, but it's that, it, it's almost like those naive chefs are, are some of the best chefs because you really can, if you can really get to them, you can really mold them into something really special, I feel like. Yeah, and they can, and then they can take it upon themselves to kind of grow and, and expand and make something big because they're like, oh, this person is actually taking an interest in me. This person taking time time out of the day to teach me and show me how to do things the right way, show me stuff that I never knew how to do, and that's what people did for me. It's not a great, amazing chef, you know. When I was working at McCormick Schmix years ago, you know, his name is Masa Ose. He's still an amazing chef. He still does great work. He's based out of Orange County, and this guy showed me, you know, a lot of you know how to use umami flavors, how to use different textures, and here and there. And because of him, when I when I present a puree, I never present a puree by itself. Always has some kind of texture, either a crunchy bit or something different. Why? Because you want to amuse the mouth, right? Amuse bouche. And same thing. That's why I use a lot of soy sauce, or I use a lot of different different flavoring agents to kind of enhance that. You know, I like using glucose in my sauces. Why? Because it's way better than butter. Is first of all, it gives a better sheen and it holds a lot longer. And your sauce looks great. It's, it's never breaking. It's not separating. It doesn't look fatty. But you have that great quality. You have that great, you know, palate coating, and it's flavorful. It's amazing. That is, I love that. The, the fact that you said about glucose, because I have never looked at glu- glucose like that. And then you just like 360 me, and I'm like, holy shit, that makes so much sense. And now I almost understand why, you know, I've used it in some recipes that I've had to, you know, during the kitchen instead of times in kitchens that I've worked in. So I love that. And I love like all, all the stuff we've been talking about, just having such a pleasure having you on and um, just the way you're describing everything is just amazing and um, truly able to connect. And that's awesome. Yeah. I think it's so smart that we talk about the, you know, we've talked about it before in other episodes, but that injustice of believing, you know, going somewhere and not realizing that, everybody has something to give you. So, you know, if you, if you don't think you can learn from that person or, you know, your time there is done, then, you know, go somewhere else. But every time you start a new opportunity, you have to stay open-minded. You have to think, okay, what can I learn here? You know, what am I going to be able to bring from this experience to other experiences? And it's definitely injustice that I've seen in kitchens with young cooks. And I think it's awesome to sort of, you know, reiterate that again and, talk to all of our viewers and those people just kind of starting out in the industry. Yeah. Whether I learned something good or something bad, it's, it's an experience. You know, I worked at shitty ass kitchens and I had some really, you know, more, more currently some really off the wall interviews and some crazy shit. I'm like, wow, I think I must have had one of the worst interviews in the past 10 years, this couple of weeks. And I'm like, well, okay. I almost walked out on, on, on this gentleman, but I'm like, okay, this is a learning experience for me. Okay. Don't, you know, going get into the situation again. Uh, but for me, it was quite interesting, you know, the conversation I had with this gentleman, you know, he's asking a couple opinionated questions. And I say, like, oh, or what would you do in this scenario? Well, okay, well, this is what I would do based on past experience. What's worked for me, I would do this. And, uh, and this and this gentleman, the chef would be like, oh, no, 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 that's wrong. I'm like, 
He's like, I would do this. I'm like, okay, great. I understand that. But you're asking me what I would do in that situation. And I'm telling you, this is what I would do because this is the outcome I've had before and it worked for me. If that works for you, then great. Uh, and then all it was also baited switch on me. I, I was talking to the CEO of this company. It's a nice little company. You know, it's a, a boutique wine shop that has, has you know, kind of like taco style food. Uh, I was corresponding with the CEO back and forth here and there. I'm like, okay, great. CEOs, I like, come in and we'll talk, we'll sit down. Great. I go in there and I'm speaking to the chef. I'm like, okay. Uh, total bait and switch. I'm like, I thought I was interviewing with this guy. Now I'm interviewing with this guy. So it's a total 360. I'm like, okay, that's fine. So as soon as I sit down and talk, talk, talk to this gentleman, talk to the chef, it's, I can already know off the bat, you know, just by his demeanor, the way he's talking to me, like he has no interest. I'm like, okay, great. Let me just see where this goes. It's at this point, I've already given up hope, but I'm already dressed. I already came down here. I'm going to waste his time as much as my time is wasted here. You know, I've been in those interviews. But it's that's 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 why I figured, man. What's what's like that frequency in the room at that point? Because I've personally never been in those interviews. I always uh, have to like, just like what it, it, what else like is you, gonna come out of this person's mouth? You're just like waiting. You're there, yeah, you're sitting there. And you're just like, okay, like, okay. But is that you know, like a corporate environment that like these chefs bring on to you, like with these questions? Is that like a norm in in that corporate environment or? Well, no, you, you know what it is. It's, I think a lot of the chefs and a lot of people have this issue. I had this issue years ago and thankfully I'm trying to correct it now. You know, don't correct me of, of anything, but uh, it's, we're not people, people, you know, we don't speak to people in, a, in appropriate manners. I have chefs talk shit to me. I have other people talk shit to me. Even my cooks talk shit to each other. Don't even know how to speak to each other properly. You know, and I've been trying to change that. I, I've taken, you know, management courses, psychology courses, HR courses, and again, you know, shots are not the best when they interview people. I mean, I think you can agree, agree with me on that. It's sometimes when we talk to people, we're like, I need this, I need that. Like, you're going to work this? Then cool. I'll hire you right now. Not, then it's not going to work out. It's like, bro, like, you're, not, you're not even giving me an opportunity to respond to anything. You're basically telling me it is what it is and that's it. Take it or leave it. And it's like, okay. That's definitely not a conversation at that point. It's not a conversation. It's just more like, you, you know, hey, how's it going? You know, you like the restaurant? You saw it? Cool, cool. You know what we do? Yes. Okay. I need somebody to work these hours at this rate, so-and-so. Can you do this or not? Okay. And I know that because I've done that. I've done those interviews. I give those interviews. But, you know, now it's more like, hey, hey, how are you? Like, Doug, how are you? Like, okay, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up? You know, what you like doing on your separate time besides cooking here and there? Hey, great. Oh, you like fishing? Oh, that's amazing. What's the last thing you caught? You know, where'd you go? You know, where do you like hanging out? You know, I want to know what makes you tick and why you want to come to work. You know, I want, I want you to come to work happy and I want to understand, you know, how you work. Why? Because then that's giving me a better understanding of what I can and cannot tell you or cannot give you. So when we're doing, when we're in the shit, it's, I understand, okay, Doug's going to come through because he understands how to do this, this and that, you know, and he has patience for it. Because I don't want you to just like walk out after the shit hits the fan at all. Do you think as, you know, as times are changing and, you know, society's evolving, this kind of like stress-free illusion exists nowadays that, you know, jobs should be stress-free. Life should be stress-free. But, like, if you're really a go-getter, if you're really putting yourself in the weeds, if you're really pushing yourself to those limits, I believe it It should be stressful. And, and you know, because it's stressful, you reap the benefits of it. But there's so much of that, you know, hey, James, go do what you want. If they yell at you, you know, quit. We'll pay for your apartment. Not a problem. Oh, car rent, you know, we'll take care of it. And, you know, so much of that softness where, you know, when you're in a kitchen, you're cooking for however many people, there's always something to improve upon. There's always, you know, a step further to take it. There's always, you know, a gasket to clean, you know, reorganize the cooler, retake inventory. Oh, yeah. I find that, like, I can't see a lot of, you know, us younger culinarians being as accountable as I think some of the OGs and, and, you know, some of the people that have been in the game and, and have done it. And they're like, this is why we do it. I know why we have to do it and we're going to do it. So, so, you know, one thing that I do and I've been doing lately, it's uh, especially with my stewards, dishwashers is I only have been cleaning dishes, pots and pans and not the stations and not the walk-ins. I, I actually make a list for all the cooks and prep cooks. Hey, today you're cleaning this. Today you're doing this. Tomorrow you're doing X, Y, and Z. You know, every single night, my cooks get on their stations. They take the hoods down. They clean the whole back. 
they clean the hoods, they clean the grates, they clean the grill, their whole stations. And I make like a family. So for example, if Doug's over there and he's done on pantry, all right, I'm out. Like, no, 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 you're not, you're not done. You're not done. You, all of you guys stay here and all of you guys clean and you leave at the same time. So if you have a hot date tonight, then dude, you better help Steve. You better help Mike over there finish on that grill. Why? Because you guys don't leave until I do a final walkthrough. And then that's how I instill, you know, that passion in them. You know, they're cleaning their stations. They're cleaning everything out, cleaning the gaskets here and there. I go through there. I look at everything here and there. Once in a while, I'll fuck with them. I'll take a flashlight. I'm like, what is that shit? They go, oh, hell no. We're all staying here for another hour. Like, clean up, you know. But it gives them that pride. It gives them that purpose. They come in, and they can't say, who the fuck closed? I say, oh, wait, that was me. Damn. You know? It gives you that, that sense of pleasure. And then also, at the same time, it keeps your, your dishwasher focused on making sure those pans are good. You know, the, the plates are, are not, they don't have that film on it. You know, everything's clean. And it's, you know, and it also gives you that idea that I don't know if you ever see this cooks, you know, they wipe things and they throw on the floor. Why? Because they're not cleaning it up. You know, in my kitchens, these guys don't do that. You better believe it. They better get the, they get the towel, they throw in the trash. Why? Because they're sweeping and they're mopping, you know, at night. At the end of the shift, if they want to do that, then they're, then that's by all means. You're cleaning that up. You know, the best part is, Throughout the shift, you know, as as the shift is kind of mellowing down like around 10, 10 30 at night, you know, my, my lead guys would, would, would send, you know, for example, be like, hey, hey, Doug, go to the prep area and clean that up and start cleaning there, you know, so we can leave already. You know, like we'll got the, we'll, we'll get the main station. Like they start delegating work to each other. They can see how the, the flow of business is going. Like, okay, we're gonna get out early tonight. Somebody go clean the walk-in, you know, you go, you go do the, the dish pit, you go do the, the main line, I'll do this. And it's great. You start seeing it. it's like a machine, it's like a family, you know, they start cleaning here and there. Boom, boom, boom. Next thing you know, it's like, oh, we're like 10 30, we're closed. Everybody's home by 11, or everybody's at the bar by 11. <laughs> but it's a, it's a, it's a great feeling. You know, I can't, I can't describe it. I love that. And um, it's something that resonates really big with me. I was working at a, a well known corporate place called Disney uh, in Florida. Oh. And um, <laughs> I was, I was the chef of one of their resorts over on the East Coast. And uh, they wanted to bring in a third party cleaning crew to kind of take care of things at night. And that was one of my biggest reservations and why I, you know, pushed against it as, as much as I could. I don't know what they do now, but, um, you know, to be able to have that sort of camaraderie and, you know, that was the, my exact rules, you know, same thing. We all start together we're all here at two 30 for pre-shift. Everyone's ready for service at five. And, you know, once the restaurant closes at nine, everyone's breaking down at nine 30 and, you know, exactly the same thing. Everyone leaves at 10 30 and that sort of team, just like you described it, it's it's really prideful as a chef. I think that's like one of the great moments that I've had being a chef is when you develop this well-oiled machine and you get four different people's personalities to sort of energize with each other. And, you know, obviously there's always, you know, this person didn't set up that station, but, you know, navigating that. And like we kind of talked about a little bit before is, you know, figuring out who that person is as an actual person outside of the job is one of the best ways to be able to create that well-oiled machine and know how, you know, each little part is going to work. And, you know, if this part interacts with that part, you know, as people, you know, what's the, what's the connection going to be there? You know, are they going to jive? Is heads going to butt? It's definitely like um, we, you know, talk about chefs as being these like great conductor engineers and it, it definitely resonates with that. Well, especially now with COVID, you know, it's it's everybody has to be able to do six to seven different jobs. And it's simple as that because we have less staff in the kitchen, uh, more more cost items, you know, less control. So we need to be able to do what we do and do it right and do it appropriately. And, you know, I saw that, especially when I closed down the hotel and I had to reopen it. I opened it with maybe a quarter of my staff, you know, and we were still doing all these great, great high-end cuisine, still doing all the, the claim, keeping track of it. It just became, you know, uh, I want to say harder, but it became an eye-opening experience where it's like, wow, like, this business has changed and it's going to continue to change. And then plus well, all the new laws, regulations coming out, it's just, our industry is just, how can, what's the best word? It's really fucked. <laughs> you know, you really have to have a passion for this business to continuously do this. And that's something that it's- Right, and know, the stress do- around, around like hearing everybody else who are outside your industry talk about the industry and say- you know, how doomed it is. They're like, oh, what are you going to do? But I'm not a chef right now. Yeah. Yeah. Are you still going to be a chef? Are you still a chef? Are you still in business? Like all of that heat is coming in as well right now. And it's like. It wasn't already stressful enough. Oh yeah. hundred percent. 
It's crazy, yeah. but I, I do have this one thought that I kind of just want to compare since I'm on this comparing streak, but yeah. I thought it's pretty crazy that, you know, Doug had, you know, people coming in at 2.30 in a corporate world to start a shift at five, you know, and I know we would come in at, you know, 12 or one. And, you know, I know you kind of got a little leap ahead of us in the game. Uh, you know, how was that like? You know, if you had to be there at 12, were you coming in at, you know, were you coming in earlier? Were you working off the clock? You know, was that, you know, was that, did you catch that time? I mean, for me, honestly, it's, it's, I always wanted to learn and kind of explore more. And I always figured out if I come in early on my own time, I can always learn more and figure more things out. If I want to do pastries and, and learn how to, how to, you know, frost a cake, how to bake certain things, how to do like some kind of fondant work. It's, I would come in an hour early before my shift and hang out with the pastry shop and do things here and there just to help out. Why? Because I'm off the clock. It's helping him out. He's going to teach me how to do certain things. Cool, cool. It's going to help me better myself to do something else. And it's the same thing, you know. When I used to open up the line, I, I used to be a line cook. I used to come in all the time, like an hour ahead. Just hang out there. And, you know, and that also shows, you know, the chef that you're, you're, you're prideful. You want to learn more. You want to be here more. Now, he's not necessarily going to pay you for that time he came in early or, or, or tell you to clock in or allow you to clock in. But it shows, hey, I'm here. You, you know, get paid in that knowledge, right? That you get and that like that intimacy, exactly. right? That and I, I think and I think a lot of that thing is lost nowadays. I don't see a lot of people coming in early, man. You know, even like my sous chefs, I'm like, hey man, come in so and so. They come in five minutes late. I'm like, what the fuck, man? I'm like, what if I was dying and shit fucking five minutes ago? You you weren't here. You know, like like I don't like being over dramatic with them, but like, come on, guys. I scheduled you here, be here at a certain time. I'm here an hour before my time, but you're not even you're here five minutes after your fucking time. Like, what kind of shit is that? You know, who's the chef? You know, what's going on? But I guess, like I said, you know, nowadays, these kids, it's different. It's a whole different story, a whole different ball game. You can't, you can't say certain things anymore. And a lot of stuff, it's like, okay, how can I ask for something? You know, I can't even say shit in the kitchen anymore. You know, I still say butt fuck shit, everything, you know, but still, it, it's open to interpretation, right? It's definitely a, a different world we live in. And we talked actually a little bit about this sort of cultural or not cultural, but, you know, age gap. And as far as, um, you know, that grit, and we talked about it with Jeremiah Tower and he noticed the same thing, you know, kind of being in the business in the early 2000s and then, you know, taking a hiatus and, and coming back in 2014 um, and, you know, nonetheless coming back to New York. And so I'm sure he was, and he told us, you know, that he was expecting that same level of, you know, commitment and grit and dedication to the craft and, you know, the hours spent and, you know, just the physical, you know, brutalness that is our industry and um, completely different, you know, class that he got. All of his cooks were very much, you know, they felt like they were entitled to something. They wanted to, you know, voice their opinions on every situation and complete, you know, 360 of where, where we came from. Yeah, the industry has changed a lot, you know, it's different pieces change. Uh, I mean, and just with COVID, COVID, you know, a lot of different things are going to change again. I, I know a lot of my cooks that, that I had for past years, they're no longer in the business anymore. You know, they had to adapt. You know, all these guys are doing construction. All these guys are doing other office works. Um, it's just a shame, you know, and I ask them, hey, man, when things get better and reopen, you're going to come back. And a lot of them say no. Like, no, it's like, I already, I already have a good thing here. I'm selling insurance or I'm doing real estate or I'm doing construction. It's better for me right now. You know, isn't that isn't that crazy? But that's like the hard reality right now is that we lost a lot of amazing people who could potentially, you know, be the next, you know, rising chef, next three Michelin star chef and, you know, whatever nominations that you, you can put on a chef. But I think we really took a toll on like a lot of creative minds that were just not able or in the position to to fight this fight you know it's been almost a year we're mark we're back in march i think we can say a year right and it's like yeah. <laughs> it's still not back to normalcy there's even though it's starting back up and weather is getting better and things are shiny and you hear less on the news like the reality is like Texas is what, being our guinea pigs i i think drake <laughs> released a great record on you know like what's next you know I think that's a great that's a great question in every chef's mind right now who's hungry is like what can I do next? What is the next thing? How do we get over this? How do we come back? How do we come back stronger than ever? Like I think I've seen over the past month 
you know, the, the egos and like all of that change into like such positive, hungry, ambitious, you know, people are willing to take risks again, I think as chefs and reopen and, and show what they really are and not, you know, serving delivery to go hamburgers or meat loaves or reheat dinners and, and what we had to do or, and sacrifice to slow the burning of the cash flow and, and all of that and, you know, get some jobs back and, and retain some talent. Well, the, the thing nowadays, it's our industry has been impacted so dramatic that you're seeing you're, you're seeing the repercussions of it, man. It's I, I see a lot of great jobs that were offering over 100K, only offering 75 now, you know, and that's the reality. It's, I interviewed a couple places here and there. Uh, you know, they're only offering, you know, like half my salary, but double the work. But, oh, yeah, we expect you to be here six days. You know, the chef has to work at least 12, 12 hours a day, work the line, do this, banquets, and so on and so. And you don't have a sous chef. And we're only paying this much with no bonuses, no structure. And you got to find your own parking. I mean, I, I know, like you said, in New York, it's like parking's everything, you know? And, and it's incredible. It's, it's amazing. It's like these people expect the world and they don't give you anything in return. It's like the age of chefs making over 100,000, 120,000, it's gone. If we're back to the Stone Age where we're making 75, maybe 80 if you're lucky. And that's crazy to me. You know, it's the fact that, you know, we come, come a long way to just flip back right away. It's insane. In one year. Yeah. Let's, uh, you know, hope that normalcy returns at some point. But I think um, this will be a devastating impact for, you know, probably two or three years to come. But, you know, hitting a little bit about that and about COVID, give us a little bit about, you know, your story. And did you have to pivot at all during COVID? Or, you know, what are times like for you right now during this? Oh, man. Uh, so I started I started working at the hotel two months before COVID hit. You know, at that point, it was just a whisper. Like, oh, something, something's, something's happening, you know, in, in Asia, some, something right there, you know. It, it wasn't, you know... Um, it wasn't a global pandemic. At that, at that point, it was regional. It was actually an epidemic, I think, before it became a pandemic. Uh, it was a couple of whispers, like, blah, blah, blah. The GM was always adamant, like, it's going to come here. It's going to hit here. Watch. We've got to prepare ourselves. Everybody's like, you're crazy, you know, blah, blah. You're having one of those crazy dreams. Next thing you know, what happens, oh, wow, the, the first case is here in the U.S. Another day, oh, my God, a couple hundred people. Oh, now a thousand. Next thing you know, the zombies are rising. You know, we get, we get, a, we get a notice from the president, a notice from the governor. We're shutting all dining. And everybody's like, what? what do you mean? What do you mean? Like, nobody's going to eat. Nobody's doing anything. You know, it's like crazy. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And it's, I literally started this job and everybody's like, we're shutting down. You know, hotels closing down. We're doing this and that. I say, fire all your staff. Get rid of the food. Close everything down. I'm just like, huh, fucking funny. Hilarious, huh? Like, no, you have three days. I'm like, what do you mean I have three days? So in those three days, I kind of sat down and I kind of took a step back and I looked at, looked at my life differently. Like, okay, there has to be a better way. So I started coming up with some ideas. You know, I turned our restaurant into a grocery store, a farmer's market. You know, we went outside, we laid a bunch of tables out, a bunch of racks here and there. And we started selling the product. Um, with that, you know, we started keeping the staff a little longer, cleaning, decleaning everything. Because it has the place hasn't been clean in 10 years. So we started decleaning, taking everything apart. Uh, ownership actually started making money off of us selling, selling the stuff. So instead of closing in three days, we ended up closing in three weeks. So I was able to save maybe 10 of my employees' jobs, including myself, and also still order more product. Why? Because we were ordering eggs, milk, here and there. We were doing farmer's market boxes. And all these boxes had, you know, like, of course, you're standard. You had your $50 box, your $100 box, or your $200 box. But every box came with toilet paper and bleach and here and there. Why? What do you have? What do you, what do you have in abundance in a hotel? Tons of toilet paper everywhere, right? And at this point, people were hoarding like it was old. So we decided, you know what? We're going to start putting toilet paper in here, here and there. We made the local news, the newspaper here and there, which wasn't, you know, on purpose. It was a total uh, great side effect of doing this, great business proposal for us. Uh, and then when, then when we did close down, ownership saw that I, you know, I did a lot to kind of make, make it happen. So they came on board for, for two days out of the week. So I was on board for two days out of the week as consultant. So I was on calls. I was working on menus here and there. Next, you know, a couple of months later, hey, we're reopening. I'm like, great. So when are we opening? We're opening at this time. You have two months. Don't worry about it. Okay, cool, cool. Two months, two months. Next thing you know, it's like, hey, actually, we know we want to open at the end of the month. I'm like, great. So I went from eight weeks to about four weeks. Awesome. So at this point, it's I think I probably only brought back two of the original staff members who showed a lot of passion and initiative. The rest of it was people that I've known throughout the years who worked for me, who bled for me. 
you know, and, and who took my shit for the longest time and who I know would take my shit and, and call it caviar. And th- those people came on board. And of course, it was a small, knit tight group, created a beautiful menu. Uh, we started getting a great, great traction. Uh, our Yelp reviews went from, I think, from three and a half stars to, to four, four and a half stars. Same thing on Open Table. We, boom, boom, boom. Started getting all these great reviews. Here and there, we started making money. People were coming down. Uh, it was a great place. All those people that we supported during the first shutdown, all the local businesses and all, and all the local community came out in short support. And it kind of really blew it up. It made humongous. And then guess what? Round two hit. I'm like, holy shit, we're closing down again? And the second closure was difficult. You know, it was hard. It's, I had to do the same thing. How do I tell somebody like, hey, man, you know, I, I know you just brought you back. I know I got you off of unemployment. I know I got you off of EDD, which took us weeks to get on. And they had to go back on. And, you know, it's like, I'm sorry, man. You know, it's at this point, it's like we're playing with people's lives and you can't do that. And we started the shutdown again and started doing the whole thing, the whole process. Uh, at this point, it's um, it was kind of funny because uh, when I found out we were shutting down the very next day, it's uh, I talked to the owners uh, or the GM and basically getting a promotion. Hey, we want you to oversee both hotels through the shutdown. So then that way, you know, when we reopen in a couple of weeks, you can run both of them. Like, oh, I'm like, I'm like corporate chef. I'm like, oh, like, we'll talk about that. I'm like, oh, corporate chef. You know, yeah, you know, I'm dancing. Like, all right, well, at least that's something good, right? No, that lasted all about six hours since the governor spoke. Like, we're indefinitely shutting down. I'm like, oh, Christ. Like, like, like thanks, governor. Um, you killed my promotion. I'm like, thanks. I was promoted for, for, for about six hours. That was amazing. Uh, and then after that, yeah, you know, it's... It's, uh, I was let go again, I think for the second or third time uh, in that year from that same company. Um, and uh, ever since I've been doing, you know, some, some meal preps for a couple of clients, a uh, couple of events that I have, I've been doing a couple of meal preps, uh, some off the hinge catering, a couple of the little side projects, consulting work as well. Uh, but kind of keeping low, you know, keeping a low profile. Uh, to tell you that, you know, that I'm afraid of COVID, yes. You know, that, it, that it's impacted my life, you know, somewhat. You know, my father got COVID a couple of weeks ago. Uh, thankfully, he recovered. It was like nothing, you know. He had COVID and he was just kind of like speaking with a little scratch. It was more like a sore throat. After like a week and a half, he was fine. But then, you know, I had a couple of friends. You know, I have a, one of these guys who was, who was a server in, in Anaheim that I knew years ago who got COVID and died. And then same thing, another one of the guys that went on my line cooks that worked for me for years. You know, this guy was a healthy nut. He used to go running, hiking, you know, all that crazy stuff, all the fucking x game shit. You know, and he died off of it. I'm like, fuck. I'm like, look wow. at me. I, I fucking drink. I do crazy shit. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, God. Like, imagine me. I'm like, damn. I'm over here. I, I sneeze. I'm like, oh, God, I'm dying. I have COVID. You know, it's like over the over panic, overselling of everything, you know. It's it's just a different world, you know. But now that things have kind of settled down, calmed down, it's, um, <clears throat> will I go back to the hotel? I don't know. Uh, the last I heard, the last I spoke to ownership was they're opening the room sometime at the end of this month or next month. I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure about the, the food and beverage side yet. So are uh, things but, in LA are still pretty shut down right now? Because, you know, here in Chicago, uh, we, you know, we're starting to kind of sit people inside and indoors and all that is starting to reopen and flourish. Yeah, I mean, we're in the same boat. Uh, they open outside, outdoor dining and they're, they're just announced or just announced that you can do indoor dining with limited, I think, 20% or so on and so forth. They're still working out the kinks. But uh, they're making all these announcements. The governor is supposed to announce or, or did announce. I, again, I don't I stopped watching the news after, you know, every single day was about COVID. I was just like, okay, same thing. I guess we're supposed to go back to, like, baseball games, you know, go to movie theaters, go all these sports games. I guess we can do that now, I think. Uh, but I'm not quite sure. Uh, and, again, you know, it, it costs a lot of money. I think to open up the hotel the first initial time after COVID was about $28,000, $32,000. You know, and that was just for operational needs, you know, and that's not including labor. And that's before we even see any money. So to say to reopen up, it's easy. It's not. It costs a lot of money, you know. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of cooks say, like, well, why can't they open it? They have money. I'm like, yeah, dude. But it's because they have money doesn't mean they're going to spend it. That's not how it works. People with money don't just spend their money. <laughs> exactly. And, it, and I have to give people examples all the time. Like, dude, if you have money, are you going to spend it because of this or because of your name? It's like, no, you're going to be like, fucking names, right? Like, it's your money. But I, again, it's uh, right now. Currently, it's I'm, I'm doing you know a couple side projects, I'm trying to keep busy, making things happen, and just you know waiting for things to get better, and slowly putting my hat back into the ring with different properties. But 
right now some of the properties that, that I see out there, some of the opportunities are they're not the best. You know, and and I would hate to kind of take something that I don't want or or don't really believe in because of desperation or because I want to do something. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't benefit me or the property. If I take if I take a job offer, you gave me working for you, you know, great, I have this great job. Yeah, that's amazing. But what if I leave in a month because hey, this property opened up and they're offering me double what you did? You know, or you know what if if I what if I hate it there? What if I hate working there because you know, the food's not what I want to do, culture is not not the same what I'm used to. It's just not beneficial for anyone, you know. So at this point, it's for me, it's like okay, I'd rather step a step back and I'll wait. I'll let the business kind of do its thing. Definitely, Chef Emerson that we had on a couple of weeks ago shared some of those same remarks. Is you know, it's got to be a how did we put it a symbiotic relationship. You know, it's got to work for both parties involved. Um, you know, if what I'm going to be doing is not benefiting you. And, you know, what you're giving me is not benefiting me. We can sit here and pretend that everything's going to be okay for a couple of months, but we know what's going to happen down the road and having that like real discussion. (laughs) Right. What are are we married? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, chef, we appreciate you coming on tonight. And before we let you go, um, you know, where can our viewers, where can our followers, you know, come check out what you got going on in LA and, you know, just see what, you know, Chef Ben Diaz is about. Well, you guys can come check me out. I'm usually at the local farmer's market in Pasadena, Santa Monica once in a while and in Clover City, like I think every every other Thursday. Uh, but for the most part, you can check me out on, on, on my website, cbdcuisine.com. Follow me on Instagram, cbdcuisine, Chef Ben Diaz. Uh, I do a lot of different works there, different projects. And I'm always posting, you know, updates. Currently, I'm working out with, with a friend of mine in Gorman, California, to open up a, a, a facility. It's a private hotel, so that's keeping me entertained. You know, some people who do follow me have seen the progress. And they're like, oh god, it's horrible. I'm like, yeah, dude, it's like kitchen nightmares. It's amazing. It's, I love it. You know, seeing all the grime and making it work. I saw um, your story today. It definitely yeah. was. Uh, you were in there. Hey, man. You can also see see my work. You know, I, with uh, with Mesermeister, you can see. You know, I have all these beautiful. Ice biker, all furnished by Mesermeister, all the beautiful warring uh, ice cream machine. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you can find me anywhere. I'm always open minded. You guys can shoot me messages, uh, unless they're dirty messages. And if they're nudes, it better be good nudes, okay? You know, better be good lighting like this, okay? I don't want any of those, those shadowy nudes, all right? But uh, besides that, yeah, I mean, you guys can find me anywhere. If you guys have any questions, concerns, just shoot them out my way. If you guys ever want to work with me, partner up on something, it's I'm, I'm always open to anything. Uh, awesome. Next couple of months, I'll probably be in Ohio. Hopefully, the Colonial Vegetable Institute, and then uh, oh, you're gonna the... be Farmer Lee Jones. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna try, man. But but with this California, so it has that you know you have to quarantine for a week or two, and I'm like, ah, oh, God, I don't want to do that. I'm gonna come back. Um, and uh, in June, I may be going to Jamaica again. I I try to go there once a year. I have a great partnership down there with Zimbali Retreats. Uh, it's a great culinary structure down there. Uh, it's a yardy farm. So you sign in, you get to eat some good food and smoke some good, good Jamaican ganja and enjoy the beautiful outdoors. It's amazing. Oh, that sounds that lovely. Sounds sign like us a up. That we and Doug need to hit. <laughs> right? Me and Vlad will be on the plane with you. Put us in your suitcase. <laughs> Chef, it has been such a pleasure having you on tonight. And I just loved how real you kept it. And, you know, you brought back a lot of great memories uh, just by the way you were visualizing, you know, things as you were describing them. And uh, I really had a pleasure, you know, getting to know you a little bit better and hearing your perspective. And I just love the vibes. I love, you know, Cali vibes are always great. You guys are awesome people. Uh, And just the way you guys talk and the way you're so open about it and real about it. um, I loved it. So thank you so much for coming on, sharing your time, sharing your perspective. And, um, you know, we're going to be in touch. We're going to be sharing a lot of love. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. You know, we have more time next episode or some other time up to some crazy ass stories. I've seen some knives. I've seen some shootouts all in the kitchen, man. I tell you that it's insane. This, this is this crazy. Goodness. That definitely sounds like a good recap episode. That sounds like part two, right? Yes, (laughs) exactly. Well, chef, before we let you go, we do have to ask you, uh, we've gotten some pretty crazy answers on this and, uh, you know, it's sort of been like a, I guess a late night with chef's tradition at this point, but, um, you know, we always universally understand 86, you know, to 86 something, but, you know, we're trying to find out the true origin of that word. And so 
you know, <laughs> do you have an idea of the origin? You know, do you have a story about where 86 came from or, you know, why we universally use it? Oh, my God. I did research on this a couple of years ago, too. It was hilarious. Uh, and, and I think uh, I, I don't know if it's true. Uh, don't quote me on this. But uh, for, for my understanding, from what I heard was because old time chefs, we used to get something. For example, if the pepper mill or the wine bottle was was empty or something was empty, they'll grab it with their hand and throw it over the head outside the kitchen. And the movement of your hand was 86 degrees. So you were, you were you're trying to the product six degrees over your head. That's what we have I'm not thinking. heard that one before. I love it's that. Like, I'm like I'm like what? I'm like again. Don't quote me on that. But that's that's what I did the research on. It might have been a fucking meme. I have no idea. But it had, it had a diagram. Every so time an 86 degree past. angle with your left hand coming past right. your left ear. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're throwing you're throwing something out of the kitchen. It's 86. It's crazy. I'm like, okay, great. I'm like, fuck, that's the last time I say that. <laughs> I'm, just saying, I'm, I'm just saying we're out for now on. We're out. <laughs> I love that there's, you know, six different variations to this story. And we've definitely heard some very interesting ones. And I appreciate you sharing with us. I appreciate you sharing that perspective with us because it was definitely a unique one. We have not heard that yet. I like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, that was an amazing story. <laughs> All right, Chef and everybody else, thank you guys so much for tuning in to another Late Night with Chefs episode. Again, this is Chef Ben Diaz out of LA doing a lot of really cool consultant things. Please check him out. And as always, thank you guys. Please stay safe and wear those masks. Make sure to follow, like, subscribe, hit the notification button and leave a lot of love for us. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Chef. And everybody have a wonderful, safe evening. Peace, love.